Dancing days are here again in North Texas. This is Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast, and my name is Richard, KB5JBV. I am your host. Oh, my goodness, we're having a, cool snap, a cold snap down here in Texas uh, this time around. Uh, this is the first day in quite a while that uh, uh, temperatures have been uh, this low. In fact, it, it was almost 1.30 this afternoon before it hit 90 degrees. Of course, it's rapidly accelerating. All right. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank uh, K9, KE9V from over at Long Delayed Echoes. He's one of our listeners uh, for letting me know about the noise on the uh, last episode. Unfortunately, when I recorded the last episode, it was 105 degrees outside. And uh, this older uh, post-war box that I live in... Uh, it gets really warm really quick, so when you shut the air down, it uh, it uh, <laughs> is not a happy thing. Like I said, uh, we're dancing around the shack. It's nice and cool. Okay, um, another thing that was mentioned is uh, I had a guy <laughs> had a guy not too long ago get on me about the quality of resonant frequency. Well, let me know, uh, let me tell you, folks. This show is uh, number one is the first podcast I ever did. Uh, number two, uh, over time I've decided that uh, resonant frequency, instead of uh, being one of these uh, hot, slick, well-produced podcasts, ought to be a little more like sitting around at coffee, talking radios. So uh, uh, I try to keep it informal. We are going to try and do some upgrades, though. Uh, we're looking at, uh, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, the Frapper Map. Uh, I was finally able to get over and look around, and uh, I made me up a list of everybody that looked like they signed up since the time we mentioned it, and we're going to run through them pretty quick. Uh, we've got Wes, KJ4CUT, Steph, VK5HSX, Marty, KD5, uh, KD6WKS, Rob, KM0DT, Dave, AK4DW, Mark G0LXV, Jason KB2SDR. Uh, I, I should have looked up the name on this one. KD5TJI. Keith over in Garland. Uh, I talk to Keith quite often. K5NUB. Uh, K04RB. Neil KH6EAM. John KD5INM. Corey, K-E-5-T-Q-P. I think Corey's in Irving. Uh, Chuck, K-C-7-C-O. Joel, K-E-5-U-I-V. 
Roy, KV8KV, Blaine, KD7AEZ, Steve, AB6UV, Bobby, WP4YJ, Robert, WD6NYC, Eric, KE7EDW, got another one without a name, K7GLM, Jerry, KD0BIK, that's Jerry over at the Practical Amateur Podcast, uh, Dan, KC2FOS, and I'll try and quit clicking the pin. Uh, Todd, KE7TVF. Bob, W9WTF. Matt, W8TTN. KE5HGQ. KE5LTP. Uh, Chuck, KE5TLY. Dan, NX9C. Now, if I didn't get you, y'all send me an email or something and let me know and... We'll get that taken care of. Um, also, if I got your call wrong, uh, because of the uh, resolution I've got the uh, monitors running on, it's really, really difficult, uh, especially with my eyesight <laughs> doing what it is. It's really, really difficult for me to read the letters on the Frapper map. So uh, we're going to try and work on that. I'm also going to try and get a link set up somewhere so y'all can get to it. Uh, but until then, go over to, uh, I think it's www.frapper.com or, yeah, and uh, try and track down the map and get yourself on there. Okay, emails. Emails, we are not getting any. Uh, uh, well, for the most part. Uh, a lot of guys are following me on Twitter now. I'm getting a lot of feedback that way. Unfortunately, that doesn't. Uh, give me the information in hard copies, so unless I remember to save it and uh, for a future date, then by the time we come to podcast, uh, normally don't uh, have that information available. I try and remember as much of it as I can, and I probably need to uh, take one of these numerous spiral notebooks I have around here and write some of this stuff down. Unfortunately, I've got so many that I do write stuff in that I probably wouldn't be able to find it. Uh, if you don't want to send an email, go over to blacksparrowmedia.com and uh, go on the forums. Uh, we're still building the forums over there. We've only got a few going on right now. Yeah, when the subject's, uh, subject's warded, I'm going to go ahead and add some more forum spaces. Uh, currently, we have uh, show suggestions, uh, feedback. What else we got over there? Digital, uh, ATV, some of the other stuff. And there I go clicking the pin again. But uh, as y'all as y'all uh, start needing the space over there, we'll go ahead and expand it. And since I said Black Sparrow Media, let me uh, bring this up real quick. Uh, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. I went ahead and tried to upgrade the software that Black Sparrow Media runs on. So now we are currently running on the backup because, well, it's one of those stories that only ends in tears. But we're currently running on the backup. If any of you guys are pretty good with Joomla, G-O-O-M-L-A, Joomla, uh, get a hold of me and we'll try and get everything. And what happened was when I upgraded, uh, all the articles were still there. The forums were still there, but everything else was gone. All the links and everything just psh, gone. <laughs> I don't know what happened. 
However, we're running on the backup, and it, you can get to uh, the donation page in the store and all this other stuff. So let me bring that up. Donations have dwindled to zero. Yeah, you got it, zero. Now, I understand with the high price of gas that it's difficult to turn loose of a few bucks. Uh, I'm thoroughly aware of that. I drive a Ford F-150 with V8 in it, and uh, I see it every time I have to hop in there and drive to Gainesville or Sherman or up into Oklahoma to do a job, I'm, I'm feeling for you. However, like one of the guys on the other on one of the other podcasts I listened to said, if this show, if this episode is worth a dollar, if the episode, if you feel the episode is worth a dollar, you know, you go and purchase movies, and I'm cheapskate, so majority of the time I get them out of the five dollar bin or the uh, seven dollar rack, which is now the nine dollar rack at Walmart. Uh, because I'm patient enough to do that, but you pay six, seven dollars for a two-hour movie. If this episode or any of the other episodes have helped you in any way, uh, I'm sure it's worth a dollar. So go ahead and send us a donation. If that doesn't work for you, go ahead and uh, check out the store link over at Black Sparrow Media. You got two uh, places to go there. One is our uh, a merchandise store, and I'm working on getting some bumper stickers and buttons online over there. Right now, we have uh, some coffee mugs and other things, T-shirts, some kind, of, some outerwear. Uh, we get a piece of that, and I know some of y'all, I go over there and look at it and say, good God, but uh, we're not making hardly anything off of that stuff. The majority of that is cost from the supplier, so... If you want a, want a T-shirt with Resonant Frequencies logo on it, or... Uh, um, a ball cap. I think I got the ball cap set up. Go on over and, and grab you one. Every little bit helps. Also, uh, Amazon. Uh, we have an Amazon store online. Lots of uh, uh, amateur-related books. If you can't find something, uh, if you can't find something in uh, printed material that piques your interest, there, you can always go on, click on through to the actual Amazon site and check out electronics movies, video uh, movies, uh, audio, whatever, and we get a little piece of that. It's not a whole lot, but once again, every little bit helps. Okay, now all that's over at uh, Black Sparrow Media. Uh, we are currently in talks with... Russ K5TUX and uh, we're actually we're past talks we're in the development stage and soon we will have a uh, a podcast come online which is specifically for the Linux user and more specifically the new Linux user it'll be called uh, well tentatively and if we don't change it it'll be called Linux in the ham shack uh, I'd was hoping we could keep that for uh, I was really appreciated Marlon Dunn's uh, series of podcasts and he had to give it up because he couldn't afford it anymore but we will walk through the basics in the first few episodes on Linux in the Ham Shack and after that we'll start uh, probing into the software that's available for Linux in ham radio and let me tell you once again I'm a cheapskate 
And I tell you, I can go get a machine that's fairly old. I can take one of these uh, 1.2 gig uh, machines I've got around here. In fact, I've even got a 900 megahertz Dell back there that runs absolutely fine on Ubuntu. Or Deb- In fact, the Dell runs better on Debian. And I can operate PSK, keep my logs, do the DX cluster, all that good stuff. And uh, I'm really excited about this new podcast and uh, excited to have Russ on board. There was something else, and I can't remember what it was because I got to talking about this first. Well, you know, that's it. I've told you all before. My father says he has Alzheimer's, and uh, I only forget stuff half the time, so I got Parkinson's. Well, if I don't remember it before uh, I start dancing again, we'll uh, we'll get it tacked on in. No, that pretty much sounds like uh, everything on the list here. Uh, we're going to talk about CTCSS. I'd like to thank some of the guys over on Twitter for inspiring that particular segment. And uh, then we're going to talk about uh, your first rig. <laughs> That's uh, one of those things that's true, but not necessarily. Anyway, since it is dancing days in the ham shack here, uh, I think I'm going to get up and dance a little more. So y'all hang in there and we'll be back uh, in just a few minutes. time on the uh, segment formerly known as Buzzword, we're going to talk about CTCSS, or uh, as most of the hams you might know refer to them, sub-audible tones. Now, uh, CTCSS, uh, actually, this segment was inspired by a conversation I, I was watching here a while back, and uh, once again, I'd like to apologize for not being more sensitive uh, in that situation. However, uh, CTCSS, uh, most of us call them subaudible tones, uh, was kind of originated in the uh, the uh, commercial communication service. You know, uh, I'm sure a lot of you out there have operated radios that uh, your company provided for you. I remember back uh, several jobs I've had that we were actually not only had company radios, but we had uh, were leasing time on a repeater. Well, the only way these companies, uh, the big companies, make money uh, doing that kind of thing is by uh, using uh, CTCSS tones, 
so that they can get five or six different companies on the same repeater at the same time and they don't all have to listen to each other. Uh, in the commercial service, the radios are uh, uh, pretty much set to tone squelch. Uh, if they don't pick up a signal that has the tone on it, they don't open up. Uh, those of you that have operated FRS radios, they, they work in a similar fashion. Uh, one thing I saw on it said, uh, say you have a two-way radio frequency that's shared by pizza delivery service and landscape service. Conventional radios without CTCSS would hear all transmissions from both groups. The landscapers would have to listen to the pizza guys, and the pizza guys would have to listen to the landscapers. If both have CTCSS units in their radios and they're set to different tones, uh, this will reduce missed messages and the distraction of unnecessary radio chatter. You know, in this example, there's only two two on there. Uh, we were using repeater out here on Chalk Hill at one company I was at, and I think they had ten different companies using the same repeater frequencies. But we didn't have to listen to each other because of CTCSS. Of course, on a lonely evening, I would... I'd open it up, open up the the tone, and uh, listen to the other other ones do their thing also. So that's basically how it how it works in the uh, uh, commercial world. On the other side of it, well, let's do this first. Um, they we refer to them as subaudible tones. Uh, every commercial, every commercial radio company, every company that builds radios, uh, for the most part, for commercial use, has their own uh, name for it. Uh, Motorola, Motorola calls them PL tones. That's why you'll hear a lot of us talk about private line or PL tones. Uh, channel guard is GE's. Uh, quiet channel is RCA. Quiet talk for Kenwood commercial radios. What uh, these subaudible tones are basically are low pitched audio tones ranging from 67 to 257 hertz, which uh, they're referred to subaudible, but not necessarily. I know some people that, uh, well, I complain about some tones because I can actually hear them in the background. Um, not so much actually hear them as pick up a buzzing, and sometimes it's a little little irritating. Something else about these CTCSS tones is uh, most encoders usually are usually set for 15% of uh, the deviation of whatever system they're being used on. Um, in a, a 5 kilohertz system, we'd be talking about 750 hertz of deviation. Uh, that's why sometimes you can hear somebody's uh, where you wouldn't hear, normally hear the tones on somebody else's radio. One guy might have his radio a little bit out of out of whack, and uh, the deviation be set too high. And number one, he can't really get into the repeater, and number two, uh, you can hear it in the background. Now I've told you all that, so I can tell you tell you this: the number one problem we have with amateur radio repeaters is making sure that we don't have a lot of extraneous noise, especially on the 2-meter band and the 440 band, because there's a lot of 
businesses in uh, public service that use frequencies really close to that. So the trick to making a repeater hear as good as it can hear is to get rid of all this extraneous noise, this, this interference. And the more the lower you can get the noise floor, the more sensitive the receiver on the repeater can be. Enter the PL tone. If you put the tone on there, if a signal comes through that doesn't have that tone, then the squelch can be set a lot lower on the machine, and it's more sensitive, simply because you can uh, hear quieter signals. It won't open up until then. It also uh, keeps power lines close by that make a lot of noise from keying up the repeater. I've, I've heard that happen a lot uh, back in the day because when I first got licensed, uh, it wasn't common practice to put sub-audible tones on repeaters. Uh, most of the repeaters out there didn't have a tone at all. And that's... Uh, that's the thing, you know, uh, you, back then you'd buy a radio, then you'd have to buy a tone board and install the tone board. I had one radio where I had to open the top up every time I wanted to change the tone from one tone to the other because it had an on-off switch for the tone on the front front of it. I had to open it up, stick a screwdriver in there, and adjust a trimmer inside the radio to change the tone. I also had uh, handy talkies and VHF radios that once we put the aftermarket tone boards on them, you had to set dip switches on the tone board to put out whatever tone you wanted. Of course, tones weren't real common back then, and the majority of them were 110.9. There was the occasional one, like uh, over here in the city of Mesquite, uh, just to the north of me, which had an odd tone, and that was explained to me by one of the guys that was around when they first put the repeater together. That's the only crystal they had for the tone that they could use for a subaudible tone, so that's the reason to this very day it's 162.2 instead of 110.9. Now, most repeaters nowadays have tones on them, and the radios that you buy nowadays, the majority of them have tone scan. And despite popular belief, which in the past has been the belief, uh, putting a tone on a repeater is not to keep people out. It is to mitigate these noise problems and stuff. Uh, that's one of the biggest gripes about this repeater over here in Mesquite uh, years ago was, well, they're just trying to keep us out because we don't know what the tone is and, and that stuff. But uh, that's not even a consideration. And especially today with uh, almost every radio on the market having tone scan where you can find out what the tone is doesn't make any sense at all okay so uh, I would uh, advise that you get with some of the more knowledgeable hams in your area and talk about uh, repeater tones and uh, why your particular repeater is toned and uh, discuss with them about it a little bit that would be one of those Elmer and things we're all supposed to be doing, you know, so uh, they shouldn't have a, a single problem talking with you about it. And in fact, if you want to find out more about this kind of stuff, I would I would advise that you go, uh, go over to the League's website and look at some of the past articles on it. Uh, there's plenty of information out there on the web, you know, 
in these days when uh, uh, Elmering is something that we're uh, desperately trying to catch up on, the web is really coming in handy because there's a lot of information available to the hams nowadays that than there was when I first got licensed. Back then, we were still operating uh, bulletin boards. And uh, let me tell you, there wasn't a whole lot of information coming through on uh, the two or three that I was a sysop on. So with that, now you're armed with some extra knowledge. Those of you that are coming back from HF, y'all probably uh, wouldn't hurt for y'all to bone up on it a little. And... For those of you that are brand new, it definitely wouldn't hurt you to bone up on it a little. And with that, I think I'm going to dance a little more around the shack. Well, now, nowadays, most of the stuff I bring to y'all on the podcast here uh, has to do with stuff that I've heard, uh, either picked it up off some of the social networks I'm part of, or heard on other podcasts, or read via email, or even on websites, other people's blogs. A lot of hams out there blogging. And uh, I heard something recently, uh, there was one fella talking about your first mobile radio or your first uh, radio his opinion was that you needed to save your money up and uh, make sure you get a really really good one well the problem with that is that uh, a lot of folks never have the money to buy that really good one first dual band radio I ever purchased was a little while back, a few months back, which would be over 19 years after I got licensed. And the only reason I bought it is because I needed 
a dual band radio that would also do G-Star. Uh, y'all might remember Roy Raby. We had him on in uh, episode, what was it? Episode 5, uh, talking about repeaters. Well, Roy was uh, had just recently become uh, ex-section manager. Uh, he had turned the reins over to someone else, but he still had uh, fairly recent statistics from the league. And what Roy was telling us, uh, telling me back then was 90-something percent, over 90 percent of folks that get licensed never key up a radio. Consequently, after when it comes time for them to renew their license after 10 years, they tend to not renew. Even, uh, even the ones that do eventually get on uh, VHF or UHF uh, may never operate an HF radio. Things are changing now uh, as far as that particular situation. But that's the problem. Some of these folks wait around until they can't afford a top-of-the-line radio. And a lot of us hams can't do that. There are some of us in good-paying position, good-paying jobs where we can go out and do that kind of thing. You know, I saw a bunch of IT guys over on... Uh, over on one of the networks the other day, they were talking about, uh, of all things, low-end radios because they wanted to get some radios up and going. And they ain't not, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. So my suggestion would be, if you just got licensed or recently licensed and you want to get on the air, don't wait to purchase a six or $700 radio. In fact... For your first radio, I submit for your approval the humble handy talkie. Now, the handy talkie has benefits. Uh, here in the DFW area, you really don't need a dual band radio. Now, it's nice to have one, but even though every single uh, repeater pair on 440 is full here in DFW, there's not enough, not a lot of activity. There are one, maybe two repeaters that have some activity on them. Uh, the guys over there at uh, uh, Texas Repeater System have pretty active 440 machine. But also a problem we have here in Texas is that half of the VHF and UHF pairs are eat up by the Armadillo Intertie, which is a closed system. You can't even get on one of their machines unless you are uh, friendly with one of their members and they vouch for you. So, with two meters in most places, uh, VHF, uh, that's where the majority of your storm spotting goes on, uh, disaster drills, uh, you can get uh, do data on that band and everything else. So, I'm, well, let's do it this way. My uh, my family believes in universal green stamps. You know the ones that are green and have uh, pictures of presidents on them. And one birthday, I was I took the money that I received from everybody and gathered it all up and trotted on down to Texas Towers, the only local ham outlet here. I don't normally do business with them, but it would have cost me more to ship it than I would have saved by, saved by ordering it online. And uh, 
I tried it on down there and got my power supply. And I had enough left over to uh, purchase a handy talkie. I looked down in the case, and they had uh, the three bottom-of-the-line handy talkies in the case. And I picked the one in the middle, which was $118 at the time. That would be a Vertex VX150. Now, the VX150, uh, it has more features than I will ever use and more channels than I will ever fill. It is a full 5-watt handy talkie, and it will run, uh, I think it runs about a watt on low power. So for $118, I brought home a brand-new handy talkie in the box with a battery and a charger, a wall ward. And one of these ham lingo guides are handing out with them now. That's uh, pretty scary in itself. We may talk about that in the future. Anyway, so as soon as I got home, I hopped on eBay and rustled me up two more battery packs for $20. Now, that's not $20 a piece. That's $20 for both. Once I had them shipped, I was about probably $145, $150 in. I decided I needed a uh, desktop charger. didn't have to be a rapid charger, but that's what I ended up with. Uh, ended up paying about 35 bucks for that, and it was on the desk charging and ready to go. Now, I understand everybody shies away from handy talkies uh, as far as uh, doing uh, the stuff that you need to do. And I understand it's really nice to have the big dual-band radios and everything else, but you can't take a 2-meter rig, a full-size 2-meter rig, full-size 50-watt, 65-watt, whatever it is, 2-meter rig, in and out of the house every time you get in and out of the car. So you either end up operating at the house or operating in the car, but don't normally end up operating in both. I've known people that have done it, but they didn't do it for long because it's a pain in the butt. In fact, I did it, and once I finally got a mobile rig, and back then my first actual mobile rig uh, did a whopping 20 watts on high power and had 10 memory channels, two of which you had to use for uh, uh, duplex operation uh, because it had like an ABVFO in it and stuff. And... Uh, well, it was given to me, so I couldn't complain. KDK2030, if y'all want to look it up. So back to the humble handy talkie. So now you've got this handy talkie. Make sure that it'll do 5 watts before you purchase it. The low, almost every handy talkie out there will do 5 watts on high power. They vary on low power. Some do half a watt, some do 1 watt, some do 2 watts. In fact, thinking about it now, this Vertex has three settings, low, medium, and high. Uh, 1 watt, 2 watts, and 5 watts. So, now you've got your handy talkie. You're on the air. If you're in a po uh, fairly heavily populated area, one of the urban areas, uh, Dallas, Houston, Indianapolis, Los Angeles, one of the fairly populated areas, you're going to be close enough to a repeater to be able to work that repeater. It may be the only one you can hit with your handy talkie. But it's a start. It gets you on the air. In some of the uh, lesser populated areas, you may be close enough to some guys that work simplex that they're going to have a good enough antenna system to hear you, and you're going to have enough power to, to get to them. So what's the next step? 
The reason I recommend the Handy Talkie as the your first rig is because you can add to it a little bit at a time and build yourself a pretty fairly decent station around it while you're trying to get the money together to get the bigger radio. And even when you get a mobile rig, you, may, you probably want to keep it in your car and keep the handy talkie at the house. I have, currently have one dual band handy talkie and one VHF handy talkie that I use on a regular basis. I have a uh, 65 watt radio sitting on the sitting on the desk here for uh, VHF and UHF. I have a 65 watt radio in the truck. But more often than not, if you hear me on VHF or UHF here in the here close to the house, I'm on my handy talkies because they give me the freedom to move around the house. Now, if you want to work something further away, put an antenna in there and hook it up to your handy talkie. There are adapters you can get. Uh, SMA now nowadays used to be BNC, and you can get both to hook a coax to your handy talkie. And on a fairly short run up to, up the up a pole or or something to a, a antenna with a little bit of gain on it, you'd be surprised what you can do with that handy talkie. You'll probably want an external microphone for it too, so you don't have to sit there and hold it because they get kind of warm. But well, I'll give you an example. Uh, Early in my radio career, I, I suggest the handy talkie because that's what I had for the first year and a half I was licensed. That was the only radio I had for the first year and a half was a Yaesu 209RH. It was a 5-watt handy talkie. I carried it with me at work. I carried it in the car. I carried it in the house. Okay. Uh, one night, uh, I was living in Grand Prairie, Texas at the time, which is about halfway between Dallas and Fort Worth. Uh... I, I myself and a friend who lived up in Farmer's Branch, was, which is up on the north side of Dallas County, probably 20 miles apart easy, I hooked up to my Ringo Ranger, which was a 6.5-7 dB antenna. He hooked up to his uh, Isopole, which was a 6 or 7 dB antenna. We both had probably a 50-foot run of coax from the radio to the antenna. And we sat there and worked each other on low power, which on my radio was half a watt, and I believe it was half a watt on his. And we worked each other uh, almost full quieting over 20 miles on half a watt and an antenna with a little gain. So as far as setting up at the house, if you got that 5 watts you can pump out, then uh, you're in pretty good shape. But you're probably thinking to yourself, what about mobile? What about mobile operation? Well, that's any antenna that'll work on a two-meter mobile rig will work on your handy talkie. Just get the adapters and hook it up. My example is, during that year and a half, I decided I needed a mobile antenna. Well, you know, uh, mobile antennas have come way down in price. They were more expensive than they are now when I got licensed. So I wasn't likely to find a cast-off uh, quarter-wave or five-eighths-wave antenna that somebody was going to let me borrow or uh, uh, let me have. So I got innovative. I was in my favorite junk store roaming around looking for computer parts, and I looked over, 
and there was a CB antenna sitting over on the on the shelf. And I walked over and I looked at it and thought about it a minute. And then I disassembled it. I unscrewed the spring and the stinger off the top of it and unscrewed the coil and looked at it. Figured out that the spring the spring that the stinger was in would screw down on the base. So I went and bought that CB antenna for two bucks, took it home, measured it off, and clipped it and put it back together, and I had a quarter-wave mag-mount antenna. Coax is the same, Magnus the same, base is the same, the steel in the stinger is the same. So all I had to do was improvise a little bit, and I had a quarter-wave antenna. Now, at the time that this was going on, like I said, I lived in Grand Prairie, Texas, which is halfway between Dallas and Fort Worth, which puts it about... 10 to 12 miles from uh, the repeater that I was on most of the time, which would be the Dallas Amateur Radio Club's repeater, which is on top of a building out on Central Expressway. And at that time, I was able to walk around inside my house in Grand Prairie and work that repeater off a rubber duck. That mag mount antenna, I would stick to a metal... Uh, TV tray inside the house when I was sitting down watching TV and stuff because I could get into the repeater better that way. And then when I got ready to get in the car, I would just stick the mag mount on top of the car, uh, put the handheld in, plug the uh, plug the uh, speaker mic in, and off I would go. So uh, why else would I suggest you a handheld? Well, every car used to have a, a cigarette lighter in it. And as far as I know, they still have what they call a power plug, power point, whatever they call it in your model car. If you purchase a handheld that has a direct 12-volt connector on the top of it or on the battery, then all you have to do is go down to Radio Shack and buy uh, a cord that's got the right plug on one end and the uh, power plug power uh, plug or cigarette lighter plug on the other end plug it in plug it into the radio you've got power and at five watts you're not going to draw so much energy down that uh, down that wire that you're going to cause the radio to do things like the bigger radios do if you don't hook them up right like uh, make an annoying hum uh, engine noise, that kind of stuff. So now you got power while you're going down the road. When you unplug it, you're on the battery. Uh, in fact, if the plug is on the battery itself, a lot of times it'll charge the battery while it's plugged in. So this is all stuff you can do, and you can even do the same thing at the house if you have a small power supply. I've got several... Uh, little power supplies around here, little project power supplies that are less than an amp. And I've su successfully run radios on them uh, without any problems at all. So now if you want a little bit more, you can turn that 5-watt radio, 3-watt radio, 1-watt radio into a big radio. Amplifiers are not that expensive, especially on VHF because it's so common. 
you can get a little 25, 35, 45 amp uh, power supply for next to nothing. There's a lot of used ones out there, and new ones aren't that expensive. In fact, they may not be as expensive as what you paid for your handy talkie. Now, all of this stuff I'm talking about can be picked up used at Hamfest if you keep your eyes open. I know to this very day that there are plenty of HTX-202s floating around. I've got three of them still. I've sold six or eight of them at uh, Hamfest that I've gone to. And they're still the most common. They're one of the best, ra best radios for amateur radio ever made. And you will continue to find them for years to come. Now, uh, those have a direct plug on the top, and the battery's plugged in in the back, and they even made an adapter that was built like a battery pack that slid on the bottom you could stick uh, 12 volts into. It. And they are rock solid. Uh, I carried one for 10 years. Uh, I got lucky and got one that was out of the batch after they fixed the... Uh, the problem that caused the error in them, and uh, since then, uh, I carried carried mine up until I bought this Vertex a year or two back. So once you add your amplifier, you've got a full-size radio, pretty much. Yeah, the readout's going to be a little hard to read, but uh, quite honestly, you guys that operate VHF and UHF all the time, can back me up on this. Honestly, how often do you change the frequency on your radio? Here, uh, I have a bunch of channels programmed in, but 99% of the time, uh, I have a radio on VHF on the uh, repeater here locally, which is about two miles away from my house on VHF. I have one radio tuned to uh, the UHF repeater here in the area, which is on the same tower as the VHF machine. I have the uh, a radio, one of the radios tuned to the local D-Star machine. We have two in uh, Dallas County. One of them is on the same tower as the other two repeaters. So they pretty much stay on those frequencies all the time. The only time I do change frequency is if I go out into Kaufman County, I'll go on their frequency, which I have programmed in. Uh, same thing down in Ellis County to the south. Uh, if I go and do a job in another part, part of the state, I normally try and get at least one of the repeaters programmed into my radio. But for the most part, 99% of the time, my radios stay on the same frequency. So... Boy, I lost track of it there, but we'll catch up with it in a second. Anyway, so we got the amplifiers going on. We know we can hook up to an external antenna. Power is not a problem if we pick a radio that's got a 12-volt direct. And let me uh, explain to you. If it doesn't have a direct plug to it, then the company that produced the radio will offer some sort of plug, some sort of uh, cable, for you to be able to plug into that cigarette lighter and then plug into that radio. It's probably going to be a little more expensive. That's why I advise finding one that has a 12-volt 12, 12 plug somewhere on it where you can plug power into it. They still make them. So this versatile little handy talkie, now you can run it in the car. You can run it at the house. You can carry it on your hip out at the park at field day.
It can run on the battery pack. It can run on the uh, power out of the car. It can run out of power off a power supply at your house. It can be hooked up to external antennas, a quarter wave on your car, five-eighths wave on your car, a uh, antenna up on your roof, a GP3, GP6. I've got a GP6. It's a nice little antenna. Uh, or even something bigger. See how versatile this little handheld hand, little handheld is. And for what you will pay for it, it will come back to you a hundredfold. Because these handhelds, everybody's going to have to have one. Everybody uses a handheld, except for the guys that are HF only and the guys that never get out of their house. Almost every ham has at least one handy talkie. Shoot, my father doesn't even talk on VHF and UHF. He's one of those crusty old hams that disappeared the minute they uh, uh, instituted the codeless tech license and went down on HF and uh, thought he would never come back up. But even he has a handy talkie. And in fact, it not only does he have a handy talkie, he's got uh, satellite radio and he's begging me for... Uh, I've got an HTX-404, which is the Radio Shack... Uh, HTX 202, except it's a 440 radio instead of a 2 meter radio. He's trying to get that out of me so uh, he can try and work satellites on handy talkie. And people do it all the time. So I would, I would beg you to consider going with the, uh, a handy talkie because for what you would pay for a really crappy 2 meter rig, you can get your hands on a really good handy talkie. And once you do that, you can add accessories. You know, I was talking about speaker mics a while ago. One of the things that's always been really handy for me is that I have a headset with a boom mic that will plug into most of my handy talkies. I even have a, a little headset with a boom mic for my Vertex that I purchased. I don't really care for it because it's one of those clip-over-the-ear jobs. Sorry about that. I bumped the, bumped the microphone. It's one of those uh, clip-over-the-ear jobs, but you know, uh, it's really come in handy. And the thing about a boom mic is, uh, if you buy the right headset, uh, you can drive down the road and you don't even have to look at the radio, fumble the radio, touch the radio, because you can clip uh, the push-to-talk button on the microphone cable on your shirt, and then all you have to do is reach up and push that button and talk. Uh, we're not even going to talk about Vox because Vox is something that is, uh, people have to be out of their minds buying radio because it has Vox. Uh, Vox, ha operating with a Vox on is not only irritating, but it's bad practice. So you have all this stuff you can do. Battery packs are not expensive. They're pretty expensive for this little, uh, little uh, D-Star radio I've got because they're lithium ion. But it's like I said, I put two I bought two battery packs for this Vertex, have used them for almost two years now without a problem, and I only paid twenty bucks for them on eBay. So we beefed up the radio, we put an amplifier on it, we've got it plugged into antennas, we've got a full the full blown situation going on, and like I said, if you wait until you can afford the perfect radio 
you may never get on the air. After 19 years of being on the radio and using used equipment that I picked up really cheap and using it for a long time, whether it was good or not, luckily I I had really good luck and all my used equipment has been uh, uh, top-notch stuff. All my Kenwood HF radios, uh, the only one I ever had that had a problem was an old uh, Yazoo FT-107 station, and the only problem it had was that it dri- the VFO drifted uh, about a kilohertz every hour. So uh, used equipment can't be uh, overlooked also. But in recent years, I've upgraded my HF rig, my, do- my VHF-UHF situation, and in one year, I spent nearly $3,000 just on radios to upgrade all my old stuff. Now I have all brand new radios, and I'm tickled with it. But it took me that long to acquire it. I had a handheld shortly after I got licensed. In fact, I had it the day I got my tech license because it was a bribe to get me to take my tech license test. So... I would ask you, and we need to finish this up because I'm starting to ramble, but uh, I would ask you to consider not waiting. Get something so you can get on the air. Get on the air. That's the important part. That's the reason you got your license. And the easiest way to do that is go with a piece of low-cost equipment and then build on to it. Because I guarantee if you... uh, if you get on the air with a hundred bucks, you'll be having a ball, and that'll make you more enthusiastic, and you'll work harder to get that better piece of equipment. Now, for those of y'all with hate mail, y'all know where to find me. And for those of y'all that don't know where to find me, check the front or the end of the episode, because the information is there. Well, you know... I think that pretty much covers this segment for uh, this time around. And with that, I think we'll move on the, uh, to the next segment. Uh, I think I'm going to dance around the shack some more. good stuff i don't care who you are oh man the one thing about uh 
myself is when I go to dancing, I set off the seismometers out in California. Yeah, buddy. Uh, but in fact, that tends to be at uh, there is one of my one of my favorite songs. I don't care who sings it. Uh, there's a version I'm partial to done by some guy from over in England, but uh, anybody can sing it, and I won't listen to it. Alrighty, well, we've covered CTCSS. We've covered. Uh, uh, well, I just finished doing it. Oh yeah, uh, handy talkie is a first rig. Uh, some of the things I remembered, uh, I knew I would. It doesn't look like we're going to make that hour, y'all, but we'll give it we'll give it the uh, old college try. Um, one of the thing, one of the reasons we're uh, really trying to get those donations to come in is we're working on getting a better quality microphone. I have my own one that uh, I'll be able to isolate the background noise uh, a little bit better and might even be able to get an even cleaner podcast out to y'all. So y'all go on over and drop a donation or shop at, uh, shop at the merchandise store or uh, go over to Amazon purchase something. Uh, help, us, uh, help us get those funds together. The other thing I forgot is uh, within a week or so, the resonant frequency of the amateur radio podcast will be available in AUG format. For those of you who want uh, want the open format, we are currently working on getting that set up. I've already converted the previous episodes over to that format. Uh, they've been uploaded to the server. I just need to get the uh, get the feed squared away so that y'all can get at it. Uh, chances are it'll be uh, very similar to the one we have right now, which uh, the current one is feeds.feedburner.com stroke resonant frequency. Uh, chances are the one for the AUG feed will be uh, feeds.feedburner.com stroke resonant frequency dash AUG. But we'll bring y'all more information on that. Look over at Black Sparrow Media for information on what's going on with resonant frequency. We're uh, trying not to uh, trying not to put that stuff actually on the uh, blog that has the XML feed because we uh, want y'all downloading it at the very least through FeedBurner so we can keep track of how many listeners we've got. Okay, uh, microphone and AUG feed. Okay, we got that covered now. Uh, the ways to get a hold of me are uh, kb5jbv at blacksparrowmedia.com. The Gmail email address still works, kb5jbv at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, twitter.com stroke kb5jbv. Or you can go over to the forums at blacksparrowmedia.com. Don't even need a www. Just type in blacksparrowmedia.com in your favorite browser, and it'll probably go straight there. Uh, I do apologize. Like I said earlier, we're running on the backup, so there are a couple redirect pages depending on how you go in there. If you come in from one of the KB5JBV URLs, you'll be redirected twice. If you go to blacksparrowmedia.com, you'll only be redirected once. Okay, uh, with that, I think we're pretty much done. We might just barely make it make it one hour. If I do this, 
Uh, we'd like to thank uh, Iota Promo Net for the music heard on this uh, this episode. I'd like to thank uh, KA3DRR, KE9V, and uh, K5TEX for uh, inspiration and suggestions uh, on this particular podcast. And with that, uh, I think we're going to go back to the old slow music to wrap her up. So y'all, uh, y'all be careful till next time. Take care of yourself and your family. 73. We gotta go.